G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is part of our Frontline series, Good News from Dr. Luke, and it focuses on Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 38, and it's called Good News Measured. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Loving Lord God, as we dive into your word this morning, we pray that you would help us to have uh, hearts to hear what you have to say to us and lives ready to apply it. Lord, this is such hard teaching, um, but Lord, we pray that you would help us um, to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Once upon a time, there was a famous Irish boxer called Seamus O'Toole 
who found God later in life and became a priest. One day, Father Seamus was preaching in his church when in walked one of his most evil opponents, Fibber McGee. Fibber walks up to Father Seamus and says, So, I hear you're a man of God now. And he slaps him on the cheek. What does the good Lord tell you to do with that then? Says Fibber. Father Seamus was taken aback and he composed himself and said, Well, Fibber, the good book tells me to turn the other cheek. So he offers Fibber the other cheek, which Fibber just hammers into with delight. Then Father Seamus steps back and begins to roll up his sleeve. And Fibber reels back in fear, knowing he's about to get a beating. And he says, but the good Lord says, Father Seamus interrupts him and says, I know what the good Lord says. He says to turn the other cheek, but there are no further instructions. <laughs> Today we're going to have a look at some of Jesus' hardest words. They're almost impossible to live by, and they've baffled people like Seamus O'Toole and Fibber McGee for nearly 2,000 years. That said, these are some of the most powerful words ever spoken. And so on the day of our AGM, these are wonderful words to look at as we think about what we're doing here and why. Can we go to the next slide, please? I've managed to lose my clicker. It's amazing. It just goes into this black hole on a Sunday morning (laughs) right before the service. We're going to look at good news measured. And today we're going to look at four points. Um, Five commandments of Jesus, a better way to live, life in the balance, and we'll see our command to get fruity. So let's get down to business. Five commands. In Luke 6.27, Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Notice these are commands. They're imperatives for Jesus' listeners. These are not general reader's digest self-help advice. They're imperatives for people of Jesus to follow. Love, do good, Bless, pray, and give. Five positive commandments and a couple of negative ones. A couple of people have asked me this week about the difference between Jesus' sermon on the plain in Luke and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And they all talk about this non-violent form of resistance. I think the differences can quite simply be put down to the fact that in Luke and in Matthew are recorded two separate sermons where Jesus shares his way of life. And because his way of life was so similar, we've got two very similar and memorable sermons. Jesus preached in a way that was relatable, it was simple, And it was powerful. 
But Jesus' words here aren't soft. People love to quote Jesus as a nice guy who would say nice things, but if you look at Jesus' words in context, they're radically countercultural. Jesus had a ragtag bunch of followers, tax collectors, fishermen, and political fanatics, but they all lived in a world of oppression. And that's why he says at the beginning of the passage, but to you who are listening, this is for the in crowd, these are for the listeners, these are for disciples. Roman soldiers would come into villages at the time and they'd abuse the women, they'd take what they wanted and they'd force people to work for them. Local leaders would humiliate people for not being religious enough and then tax collectors would tax people into the hilt. If someone more powerful than you came up to you and slapped you, the idea was to humiliate you, you had two choices. You could retaliate and face their revenge, or you could say yes, boss, and be branded a coward. There was plenty of abuse going on, but there also were people who pushed back, and sadly things didn't work out well for them as well. Children, many, of ch- many children Jesus, uh, of Jesus' vintage would have grown up hearing the story of Judas the Hammer Maccabeus. Judas was a priest, but he was also a warrior. Legend has it that he used a hammer in battle against the ruling Greek army. So the Greeks at the time ruled Israel, and Judas said, enough is enough, and he started a rebellion. Judas freed Jerusalem from foreign rule and set up a kingdom that lasted for a hundred years. But then it was crushed absolutely by the Romans only a few years before Jesus was born. It was a violent world. So many of Jesus' listeners knew exactly who their enemies were. And so when Jesus says, love your enemies, it's not an invitation, it's a command. Now, a lot of people point out that what Jesus is saying here sounds a lot like the golden rule. Treat others as you wish to be treated. Lots of people from Buddha to Muhammad to Confucius have said similar things. My favorite version of the golden rule comes from a guy who lived around Jesus' time called Seneca, and I've got it on the slide here. He says, if you wish to imitate the gods, do good deeds also to the ungrateful. Fair enough. For the sun also goes upon the evil, and the sea stands open even to pirates. (laughs) I love the inclusion of pirates. You can be nice to pirates. (laughs) But Jesus' words here are slightly different from the golden rule. He's going an extra step, a step that involves unmerited kindness, grace, He's not calling just for nonviolence. He's calling for his disciples to absorb violence and treat their enemies better than they could ever hope to be treated. Reflecting on Jesus' words, uh, commentator George Card writes this, He who retaliates thinks that he is manfully resisting aggression. In fact, he is making an unconditional surrender to evil. It's interesting how, as we've pushed the idea of God out of the public space, we don't talk about God anymore, church is off, off, off limits. And as we've been doing that, revenge has started to be seen as a good thing. 
The idea of karma, what goes around, comes around, is increasingly popular. It's a justification to throw back onto others the anger that we feel. It's hard to love, and it's even harder to love your enemies when you don't have a good reason to do so. And this is why Jesus gives us a good reason in the very next verses. We'll go to the next slide. He's calling us into a better way to live. And can we go to the next slide after that? He says, if you, love though, if, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those that love them. Now, when Jesus talks about sinners, he's not saying that his listeners never sin or that there was a particular group of people that only sinned all the time. He's talking about Gentiles, non-Jews, unbelievers. He's pointing out that anyone, even atheists, are capable of kindness, and that your unbelieving co-worker is capable of incredible goodness without believing in God. That's a given. Anyone can give money away when they expect it back. Anyone can be nice to friends. And this is why Jesus is calling his people to a higher standard, a better way of living, something much more demanding than the golden rule. The other day I met a parishioner whose colleagues make fun of them at work. A new person joined their workplace and they noticed this and they came up to our parishioner uh, and they told them about it. The parishioner responded and let the new person know that this was happening because they followed Jesus and that she was going to pray for her colleagues rather than push back and retaliate. She chose to love her enemies and pray for them. Can you imagine what a powerful statement that was to the new person at work and what it said about the God that they worship? And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, as your Father is merciful. This is why Jesus can ask so much of us. He's not calling us to live out of our own moral brilliance but in response to God's love. The other day I was speaking to someone um, who shared with me that they were feeling weighed down by the sermon on the plane. They stated that it sounded like a lot of laws and nothing like grace. How can I live this way under my own steam? And I had to say, you're right. If Jesus is just telling us to be better, this is impossible stuff. Commentator Mike McKinley points out that taking this teaching in a literalistic, just be a better Christian kind of way can have terrible consequences. For example, a woman who's being abused by her partner shouldn't turn the other cheek. They should tell someone and get help. If someone you know who is an addict asks for cash... Give them your coat, but don't feed, them the, don't feed their habit. 
Jesus isn't glorifying injustice here or saying it's okay to tolerate abuse. He's calling us to love as God loves us. God's grace always comes first, and we live out of the overflow of that grace. We need to see that Jesus walked this talk. At his trial, Jesus was slapped and beaten. And what did he do? He turned the other cheek. On the cross, he prayed for his enemies. Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. In his death, he keeps these commands in full. So friends, we don't need to keep the commands because they've been already kept for us. But Jesus died to give us grace and succeed where we fail. All he asks is that we embrace this better way of living and allow it to inform our decisions. And this leads us on to a life in the balance and verses 37 and 38. Jesus says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Given and it, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now these words of Jesus can also get twisted. They're often used to um, pay out on churches trying to exercise discipline or against people who try to call out other people's sin. They're handy words to throw at people, but only when we detach them from the one who's saying them, Jesus, and the other things that he said about God. These words are intended to draw us into the heart of God. God has been gracious to us. God has not treated us as our sins deserve. Jesus has had his body broken and his blood poured out for us, so we might not be condemned. That's what we remember every time we celebrate communion. The word picture Jesus uses about measurement is taken from the marketplace. A good measure was when a trader filled your basket with grain, rice or beans so full that it would spill over into the little pocket in your lap, which, which you could take away as a little guaranteed extra. It's a little bit like when you go into the shops and you see at the top of the packet, 15% free extra for the same price. This is what Jesus is describing as God's good deal. God always gives us more than we could ever imagine. And so no good deed will go unrecognized or unrewarded. Maybe not in this life, but certainly in the next. God doesn't ever treat us the way that we've treated him. God gives us so much more than we've ever given him. God is merciful when we are unmerciful. And we can either act hard done by or live out of the overflow of God's grace. We can forgive people who have done unforgivable things to us because God has forgiven us for the unforgivable things that we've done to him. The next slide, I've got um, 
my mandatory Leon Morris quote. You didn't think you were going to get away with a sermon about Luke without a quote from Leon Morris, did you? <laughs> says this, When God accepts people, God's grace changes them. A forgiving spirit is evidence that the person has been forgiven. And then he says, The qualities that are seen in the Father are the qualities that the children should make their aim. I know I'm being a good dad, not when my kids say, I love you, Daddy, because there's a good chance that they want something. (laughs) I know I'm being a good dad when the best qualities we try to teach them as parents automatically come out. And so I want to just share with you as we land this uh, three applications. Uh, Let's get fruity. In verse 43 of Luke 6, uh, Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, and no bad tree bears good fruit. God wants us to be good fruit, connected to his nourishment, connected to his word, reborn as new people, born again of Christ, which is what the reading that Tom read is all about. And so uh, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to take baby steps. You may not be able to embrace the way of Jesus in a day. So take a lifetime. Following Jesus' command to love your enemy might be as simple as smiling and waving at that neighbor who scowls at you or praying for that person who you're pretty sure hates you. It's amazing how God melts away hatred in our hearts when we pray for someone. Little deliberate, little baby steps every day help us to love our enemies. Second thing is to rest. Zoe shared with me the other day that the times when I'm most difficult to live with are times when I'm tired, hungry, or stressed. These are the worst times to be around me. Cutting things out of your life that run you down, even good things, free you up for capacity to love. Like a spring, we need a little bit of give in our lives, a little bit of suspension, making time and space to recover so that we have more to give. People call this self-care, but it's probably best called soul care. By clinging to God, making sure we have time to sleep well, eat well, and pray, we can open up our capacity to care for others. Lastly, we need to connect to God. Living like Jesus is impossible without Jesus. This is why, as a church, we're all about knowing Christ and making Christ known. This is our purpose, and it's what we're going to be discussing at the AGM at midday. There are a lot of good organizations that encourage people to do good things. But at Dolby Anglican, we live out of the overflow of God. When we truly reflect on all God has done for us, that Jesus has died for us, and that the Holy Spirit would humiliate himself to come and live in people like us, We can't help but be filled with gratitude. Let's remain connected to God this year and let him bear fruit in our lives.
Our lives are in the balance. Jesus offers us a better way to live. But to follow his commands and live like him, we need to connect to Jesus every day. So let's keep taking baby steps. Let's rest well and give ourselves the opportunity to give. And let's stay connected to God so that we can live fruity lives for Christ forevermore. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.